Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Steve Olson uh, to our podcast. And Steve and his company uh, does a very interesting uh, strategy of new construction. Uh, his company is Fourplex Investment Group, uh, headquartered in Utah. Uh, their company builds new construction projects, uh, specifically fourplexes, triplexes, with a few duplexes thrown in their development. And the whole strategy there is to have investors, uh, you know, acquire these uh, uh, fourplexes and things like that, uh, go through that new construction process. And, uh, you know, basically these uh, units are built for cash flow. And the idea here is to buy and, you know, have tenants in there so that you can, uh, you know, these assets can cash flow. So that's the gist of it. Uh, Steve Olson that we have here is going to help us with a lot of details around it. So welcome to the show, uh, Steve. I appreciate you taking time today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I think you said it. I think we're done now. (laughs) We capped it pretty well. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So Steve, uh, give us a background on, uh, you know, how things started with, uh, you know, Fourplex Investment Group, the FIG group that you have. Yeah, um, we kind of joke, call it the Fig Phoenix because it came out of the ashes, right? Back in Uh 2010, when somebody would put you in a straitjacket if you were buying real estate. (laughs) Uh, That's when this idea was hatched and a couple of the principles of Fig, that's short for Fourplex Investment Group. A couple principles thought, hey, you know what? There's a lot of money on the sidelines that it it wants to invest, but everybody's a little bit freaked out right now, frankly. But could we do something that's a safe asset through downturns? Right. And, and the thought was, well, fourplexes are pretty safe. You've got four income streams on one asset. Things have to get pretty bad, even if you come down on your rents, to just not be able to service that mm-hmm. and then to be able to hold it as an investment. So they bought a little bit of land, did 10 duplexes actually mm-hmm. on that, and it sold and it worked. And they thought, hey, that, that was pretty cool. Let's try that again. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is just the early phases. Mm-hmm. So project two happened and then they realized, okay, there's actually a significant demand for this kind of product because nobody out there is building them in any kind of mass quantity, especially in a planned community, which I'll get to in a minute. Sure. So we end up getting into 2013, 2014 is when things really start to, to pump. That's when I was first introduced to FIG. They brought me on in 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, we realized, you know what, this works in Utah. People are people. Why wouldn't this work elsewhere? And granted, there are a lot of other markets that we'd like to be in that have great fundamentals as far as we see. Mm -hmm. You also have to take into consideration where you can actually operate, where you can hire the right staff and open an office and and run your operation. So the first place we went into happened to be Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. Good people on the ground there, found a piece of land that we wanted to try this on, put up 40 units, which was 10 fourplexes. Mm -hmm. 
um, I guess you could say it quote unquote worked <laughs> yeah. because we definitely learned some, some lessons about how development and the process works in Houston, right? right? Different country than Utah, I would say, not a different state, country. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, now we've grown in Houston. We're working on our third project down there. Mm-hmm. Also realized, hey, let's give this a try in Boise, Idaho. Excellent market. If you research it, you'll see what I mean. Mm-hmm. And here we are operating in, in three states. We've built uh, 2,500 doors so far between all the states. We've got about another thousand in various stages of construction, probably another thousand that we have under contract to build mm-hmm. in the coming years. And we're looking at expanding into the Phoenix, Arizona market later this year. Interesting. Interesting. So what, uh, what analysis goes into selecting your markets? Uh, you know, some of the markets that you described are pretty thriving, meaning, uh, you know, the cap rates got to be pretty competitive. Uh, so for you to make sense of land acquisition and all the entitlement process, permits, uh, construction, things like that, uh, it's a long life cycle. Uh, could you maybe walk us through like, uh, you know, sort of uh, from your desk, uh, how you look at markets and, and you know how you're sort of picking up those uh, uh, sub markets uh, specifically yeah it's a long life cycle right I mean if right. we follow this all the way back to the very beginning what happens is we say hey do we have client demand out there for more fourplexes right right if the answer is yes it's can we fill that demand in our existing markets mm-hmm. uh, if we can't we would start to research others right that hence Phoenix we also have Dallas on tap Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now we're pretty busy where we operate. So mm-hmm. our land development team that's in charge of finding new land opportunities, right? Going out there, beating the bushes, talking to the farmers, talking to the land sellers is going to go out there and they're looking for a certain density per acre, right? Mm-hmm. They're looking for a few other qualifications. Will, will the city let us build a townhouse for fourplex style product sure. mm-hmm. on that land? And if that looks like, hey, that's a possibility, then on the sales side, we're going to get asked to research it right? What are, what are rents like? Mm-hmm. Are there competing apartment complexes in the area uh, or are there others planned, right? Do we have to worry about a big saturation of competing inventory sure. when mm-hmm. we're going to be coming online? Right. Is it a diverse job market? Do people make enough money? Do we feel good that long-term there will be renters for these fourplexes? Ultimately, mm-hmm. that's what you could distill it down to, right? right. That's what we're looking right. for. So we'll give kind of a preliminary, yeah, this will work. Mm-hmm. We'll do a very preliminary pro forma based on our property mm-hmm. tax research. We'll get with our HOA people and, and we'll project um, what this is going to look like. And typically on brand new construction, what we're shooting for is, is a cap rate of about 7%, right? which you can, you can do much better than that on class C stuff in the Midwest. Um, right. You can do much worse than that on, on class C in say San Jose, California or Washington DC. <laughs> Right. Right. Um, right. So it's a, that cap rate thing is relative to our investors. That's what what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And then we begin the long process of, of going through putting the land under contract and going through the entitlement, submitting concept plans from our engineers, Mm -hmm. getting, getting initial positive recommendations from the city council. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is a whole new can of worms that really depends on the city and, and the county that you're in. But, uh, you know, from the time we first hear about a piece of land to going through development and, and marketing it to our clients mm-hmm. to closing on it, mm-hmm. uh, a client could probably expect a life cycle of 18 months, maybe a little longer. 
Because when we contact them and say, hey, this is coming online in Utah, we're usually doing that six months before we even close on the dirt. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're going to put down a refundable deposit to hold their spot. And then we close on the dirt. Now we're going to begin construction. So that, that's about what the life cycle is. And, and you can generally plan on stabilization within 60 to 90 days if you come online in the, in the good season. It's mm-hmm. going to be longer if you come online in, say, January. Right. Mm-hmm. Probably sure. where you are or back east. Right. It's harder to rent in January. Nobody wants Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we have the same problem. I mean, you will rent units, but it just doesn't happen as quickly. I so see. That's why I say that life cycle from when I first hear about it mm-hmm. to when a client is collecting rent, that might be two and a half, three years. Very well said. Very well said. And that, that's, uh, that's very true. Uh, so, Steve, there is a lot to unpack just based on what you just said there, right? So, talking about various jurisdictions, various states, and, in, uh, and you said Texas is a separate country of its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would agree. So, uh, so th- there's uh, there's a lot of local knowledge that goes into it as to you know what's possible, what's not possible. Uh, you know, land in general is such a uh, sort of a uh, uh, unorganized uh, sector. I-, I would say that uh, sometimes you know the zoning is not that uh, you know clearly defined. So there is a lot that goes into of a local knowledge that hey, what someone knows. Uh, you know, uh, like, as you rightfully said, like what local farmers know down there or Mm -hmm. what are the active Mm -hmm. people down there? How do you manage uh, these relations? Because it sounds like uh, human intelligence uh, plays a long role into all these things. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. For example, the very first project we did in Idaho was in a city called Meridian. Mm -hmm. And we had how we thought this was going to go. But really city to city, how people choose to interpret certain laws and regulations can, can change. And I, I tell you, we had a heck of a time getting building permits in Meridian mm-hmm. and it's just not talking to the right person, not going through the right process mm-hmm. it, because there's what they say <laughs> and then there's reality, right? Of, of what gets done. Absolutely. Yeah. And it just gets so unorganized because there would be some, uh, you know, regulations that are passed or that are coming down the pipe that right. the locals know that that for sure they are going to affect you, but they are not in the law books or not in the news yet. And I'm, I'm, I'm by the way, I'm speaking that from experience because... <laughs> I can tell you are. I can tell. Yeah. Because I, I invested in such lands where, you know, we had to walk away from a deposit because... Uh, yeah. Something, something came along that when we discovered that hey, there was a coal coal mine uh, area that was being mined, and there was a regulation. Sure enough, that was come going to come through. That was going to almost uh, uh, you know uh, not let our project go through, and we basically walked away. We said you know in the greater interest of things, but and, and you know knowing the, your strategy, I think it's it's pretty uh, pretty important that how a local knowledge can play into these things, right? Um, oh yeah. For sure. I see. So but basically jobs and things like that are also a big driver in terms of uh, where you select these projects. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. If tenants don't have jobs, what's the point of any of this? Right, right. right. And, and given your long life cycle of these things, uh, Steve, uh, how do you sort of, uh, I mean, does 
proximity to of us uh, of your prospective tenants uh, to go to jobs uh, you know job centers and things like that uh, do you tend to be in that sort of a 50 mile radius from a core central business district or like a suburban areas and things like that what does that uh, demographic look like in terms of where exactly your projects are are they sort of in the outskirts of the city and things like that that that's a good question and and this you're going to like this answer living where you do because i know in in maryland dc area it's not uncommon to be in the car for hours a day <laughs> getting to work and and out west here in in los angeles san francisco same thing same thing um, right. yeah here, here in Utah, actually, we're, we're pretty close. We're still able to put properties in with what, what you would define close proximity. Mm-hmm. Somebody here might think, oh, I got to, you know, I'm 20 miles from work. I don't want to be that far from work. Right, right. Which, right. It, it, as the growth happens and things, it's, you're going to be lucky to be 20 miles, right? I see. Other times, we're within five miles of some of these major employment centers that you might see. Awesome. Same situation in Idaho, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Boise, Idaho is not a huge metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. I think they're just shy of a million people mm-hmm. in that metro. So mm-hmm. if, if, you're, if you live in the Bay Area of San Francisco and you're used to being in the car two, three, four hours a day, sure. it would be an absolute dream to you <laughs> to sure. live in our Boise projects and drive for 15 minutes to work. Um, sure. Houston could be a little different. I mean, Houston's a big, sprawling metro. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. Almost 7 million people in that metro. Um, but when, when we research a project in Houston, what you got to understand is so big that you're dealing with different clusters. Mm-hmm. Right? You could be appealing to people downtown. Mm-hmm. You might be appealing to people up on the north side in cities like Spring and the Woodlands. Right. right? Mm-hmm. You might be out west in Katy along the Energy Corridor in I-10. Right? So... Um, I've heard people say, you know, we, we developed a project up in spring and, and it can be a grind to get downtown from spring on I-45. And they say, well, I just don't see people going to work downtown from here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to take almost an hour. I say, well, that's what they're used to. But also the Woodlands is a big employment center, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of employment in spring. So they might not want to go downtown. Not everybody works there. You've got these clusters that, that you would want to appeal to the tenant base for those clusters. I see. Uh, so in your new construction uh, there, Steve, right? Um, like what's the, uh, uh, is it that the appeal that, hey, the new construction is very appealing, it's going to stand there for years. Is that what sort of attracts uh, the buyers? Uh, what sort of is the play that why people are attracted to uh, you know, your units? Give, give us some uh, sort of insight into you know, how the financial cash flow analysis and things like that plays into this model, basically sure. from an investor standpoint, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a very scientific term for it you're going to realize I'm being sarcastic in just a second, but it's called the brain damage quotient. Okay. Anytime you do a real estate deal, there's going to be brain damage. Super brain damage. That's for sure. When, when would you like to take your brain damage? Right. Okay. That's what it comes down to. Right. Um, on, on older units, you have some upfront then an increasing amount over time on new construction, you're paying your brain damage fee almost totally upfront. Sure. Right. And so you have to understand that. And so that's a big reason people, people come to this model is they say, look, I'm not the guy that can go source distressed houses or distressed buildings. 
Sure. I don't know how to do it. I don't want to do it, right? For, for whatever reason. But mm-hmm. I want to put my money into real estate. Mm-hmm. Right? So new construction is an excellent option in that case. Another reason is, and we're hearing this all over the country, that cap rates are compressed. Sure. It's really hard to find good deals right now. Right. That, that means everything that's already built is priced very high uh, compared to, the, to history. But we know that the economy is good, that we need more units. What's your solution there? Is you just build units. That's what you have to do. Right. So when you can't get a good price on existing in- inventory, you build units. And a big thing that attracts our clients is what we call the cap rate spread. Mm-hmm. So you can analyze a market. We'll, we'll, we'll pick on Utah here, right? I'm a licensed agent. If you come to me and say, Steve, find me a fourplex in Utah. I'm going to go out on the MLS and I'm going to look around. And I'm going to find fourplexes that, that show up at about a four or a 5% cap rate. Mm-hmm. Right? If it shows up higher than that, I know there's a catch. <laughs> it's right. in a bad area. There's a bunch of deferred maintenance. Sure. By the time I deal with those problems, I really do have a four or 5% cap rate. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And so people look at that and they say, okay, I could go get a fig deal. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, six and a half, seven percent cap rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to wait. I'm going to pay my brain damage up front. Mm-hmm. But when this thing is done, I'm in at a higher cap rate on brand new units. And oftentimes right. they come to the conclusion that even if I went and bought distressed units, by the time I move out deadbeat tenants, I come in, I do repairs, and I release the thing. I could have had a brand new unit with fig anyway. Right. Right. That's the reason that people come to us. Does that make sense? It, it absolutely does uh, there, Steve, because uh, having bought hundreds of properties myself, distressed and done thousands of uh, renovations so through our row houses and townhouses and various uh, uh, single family houses, I can attest to it is that, uh, you know, by the time you're renovating and throwing all the old stuff out, you're basically, uh, you know, shy off a of brand new construction. So why not? <laughs> what you signed up for, right? <laughs> exactly. And why not from the get go, uh, just do brand new construction and, and provide it. You are doing the work. Your company is doing the work. All you're doing is like signing up and basically probably getting your keys uh, at the closing, uh, you know, uh, so it, it can yeah, be. Yeah, not a lot is required of you. It's a, we just call it the armchair value add. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as you said, rightfully earlier is that, you know, the brain damage is upfront, but you're not going through this, all the hassles that come with sourcing properties, renovations, property management, things like that. There's a, there's a lot, lot to, uh, that's you, hard too. The, the sourcing of the properties is very hard. It's that, very, that's probably very the main bottleneck right now. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. It's very competitive. I think things are getting bid up, uh, which, you know, uh, sometimes some of these prices don't even make sense. Uh, So one concern uh, I had, uh, Steve, that uh, you have a long life cycle of these projects, right? So starting from where you're acquiring the land, the new construction and things like that. And as we experienced in uh, 08, 09, uh, you know, the economy shifts uh, pretty rapidly and, you know, we kind of go into a downturn pretty quickly. Uh, So uh, could you maybe help us understand how you insulate your company and also the clients from some possible risks of economy and you know any other uh, risks that may come with interest rate and things like that? How do you factor those things into your model? Yeah, that that is a concern in this model because you have that window of exposure where <laughs> where your asset isn't performing yet, and some of these things that ultimately determine how it's going to perform have not yet been decided. 
long-term interest rates, probably being the chief culprit, right? Right. So we, we don't have a crystal ball here, but one thing that we do is when we build an initial pro forma, mm-hmm. right? We don't put the today's interest rate on that pro forma. Mm-hmm. We're assuming an increase is going to, going to occur. Sure. Because if it doesn't, or if it goes down, then that's just better. But right, right, right. If, if we assume it's going to occur, then that's going to absorb some of that uncertainty. So mm-hmm. we'll actually go to our long-term preferred lender and we'll say, hey, in 18 months from now, when you're going to be having conversations with investors, mm-hmm. right, about locking a rate and doing a refinance, right. what rate can you tell me today that's going to make you sleep at night <laughs> between now and then, right? And they're, they're looking at these Fed discussions and what's happening in the economy. And, and granted, they don't have a perfect answer right. there. But I'm not giving you, for example, 5% is about what a 30-year fixed refi on a fourplex is going for right now. Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. now, our pro formas for the stuff coming up in a year or more is showing at least five and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, the rhetoric makes me think it's not going to go that high, but I'm not going to assume that. Right. Let's just say it goes higher, right? So that, that's one way to look at this. I think another way to look at this too is, are you in a product that um, well, nothing can ever be totally insulated, but that is going to hold up in a downturn? Right. And, and I kind of think that that's B-class stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Where I don't think anybody builds brand new and it's just C-class all of a sudden. <laughs> right, right. It, right. It, those projects don't pencil out to, yes. you know, build a piece. And that's why, we, I mean, you know, builders do this much of A-class product because they have to projects, you know, uh, you know, the acquisition, the permits, all yeah. the uh, holding costs and things like that. Uh, yep. I mean, by the time you add up these projects, uh, you cannot do a, I mean, I would be surprised even a B-class product uh, would be, would barely be profitable for a builder to build like that, you know? Yeah, unless, when we build them in quantity like we do. Exactly, unless you have a massive scale, you know? And, and, and keep in mind, because the clients get front-end construction financing, right? right? That's a lot less risk to the builder and that savings gets passed on. If we were to build these and stabilize them and sell them, Oh my There's God. No way we'd sell them at a seven cap. Uh, I know. Right? I know. I, this I, would be an entire, like Warren Buffett said, risk comes at a price. Right. It's very interesting, Steve, that uh, your model, like uh, I'm from India back home. Uh, I have a lot of family does a new construction and that's, that's the model that they do when they build apartments is that a project kicks off. You have construction financing from buyers and things like that. So their guarantee of funds uh, from end buyers uh, plays a huge uh, sort of an insulating factor into these projects. Uh, because as you rightfully said that if you were to build this whole, all these projects just by on your own footing, it's, it's one, it's, 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 it's a very massive undertaking. And, uh, you know, the, the amount of uh, long life cycle that's involved, it, it, it does, I mean, it can be very scary in case of a market downturn and things like that. Would yeah, you- that's when you take on some risk, right? You're, you're going to get some reward, but right. you're going to, you as an investor have to be comfortable in, in looking at that market and going, okay, do, am I reasonably confident that based on this rent that, that FIG is projecting mm-hmm. coming online in 18 months, is there going to be any, anybody around that can pay that? And even worst case scenario, what if I have to cut rent a couple hundred bucks? 
could I, could I absorb consequences of a downturn and keep my head above water here? Sure. Right. Because once you can get through that window of exposure, the nice thing is if you have 30 year fixed rate financing, Mm -hmm. and when you have 30 year fixed rate financing, a deal is really tough to screw up. Right. right. And that, that's the next thing I was going to get into is that what is your like sort of client profile looks like? Like, uh, uh, could you maybe help us with that? That, you know, what sort of investor clients, uh, the financing that plays yeah. into this? Uh, could you maybe help us understand those? Uh, those They're busy professionals, right? Mm-hmm. They, they come into this and they want to be relatively hands off, mm-hmm. but they also want to be informed. Mm-hmm. They don't want to feel like they mailed their money off and they're never going to hear anything. So they, they want communication. They want to know what's happening with construction, what's happening with lease up, right? But, but they don't want to interview tenants or pull credit or get bids on lumber, mm-hmm. right? All right. that stuff that comes with this. Right. So it's a dentist, a doctor, an attorney, a business owner, somebody with a busy professional life where they make enough money to where, yeah, they can sink $200,000 or more into a fourplex or even a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they want to do that and they want to have it be kind of a set it and forget it investment. Uh, d- direct ownership of real estate can never be totally passive. Right? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Even, even if you've got a property manager, especially new construction on the front end, but to the extent that it can be passive and hands off, this is it. Right. I see. They, they come in, they want us to do our thing. They want us to update them and they want us to pick up the phone when they have questions. That, that's the, the type of client that comes to us. Awesome. And, and, and one other thing I would like to add there is that built to rent model, there are not that many people who are doing it. You know, there right. are very, very few builders who, uh, you know, go with that uh, philosophy there. Uh, so with that, uh, Steve, um, help us understand that, you know, you have this long life cycle of these projects, right? Uh, yeah. How does your client intake process work? Like first time when someone uh, calls your company, saying, hey, I'm interested. Um, walk us through like what, how do you sort of uh, uh, educate your client and then help them understand that, okay, what we do and then walk us through that uh, progression, please. Sure, sure. It's, it's relatively simple. I mean, we're going to have a few conversations, but they'll reach out via our website or they'll give us a call mm-hmm. and they'll say, hey, I'm thinking about investing in some fourplexes. I heard about you guys, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Sure. What, are you, what are you up to? And we'll say, well, great, let's, let's talk a little bit about what we do and how our business model works because it is unique mm-hmm. compared to most other real estate opportunities out there. Sure. Um, I, I don't claim it's the best. Um, I don't claim, I, everybody has their thing, right? right? I think it's very good. I buy them personally. But mm-hmm. we just want to educate the client, eyes wide open. Here's the process you're going to go through. Here's the steps. Here's when deposits would be due. Here's how the financing works. Here's how your interior finishes work and the lease up and the property management, right? We're going to educate them through that. And they're going to say, okay, I get it. Or they're going to say, I need to think about that for a little while, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, once they, they get that and depending on their timing, they're going to reach out and say, hey, what do you have available in this project over here mm-hmm. in Magna, Utah or Cypress, Texas? Mm-hmm. Right? And we'll say, well, we've got these. What, tell me about your time frame. That's, that becomes especially important if there's a 1031 exchange involved. Sure. We really sure. need to understand timeframes. Those are delicate with new construction. Mm-hmm. So we'll walk them through that. And depending if they're, they're really ready or not, mm-hmm. they're going to say, great, I want to reserve that unit. Mm-hmm. And we'll get them in touch with our lender for their financing pre-approval and title for their deposits. 
Mm-hmm. And and then they're off and running. Then they hurry up and wait. Okay. Right, right, right. And then typically when we record the plat, they're going to owe a 10% deposit. Mm-hmm. Right. That'll be the next stage. And that's a number of months after they make first contact usually. Mm-hmm. And then a few months after that, they're going to close on the loan. And we're in touch with them all along. And they call with questions. We send out updates. And same thing happens after construction closes. Right. They're going to get updates. We do drone footage. It's kind of cool to see the progress of, hey, this sure. was just a bunch of bushes. Now it's bulldozers. Mm-hmm. Now it's concrete pads. Now there's sticks coming out of the ground and they get to see that unfold. Right, right. We'll send them pictures as the unit gets a little bit further along because we walk every job site every month. And, I see. And, and just update them through. And then once they're done, they complete that refi. The lease up starts. And, and then once those leases start dropping in, the management team is sending you rent. That's usually when the light bulb goes on. They go, oh, that, that took a while. I, I was wondering if I was crazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My but, wife was saying a few things to me, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And they do. Okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, now they're getting rent checks. They realize they own a real asset. That was pretty easy. It's got a one-year builder warranty. So the tenants are in there flushing toilets, turning on sinks, all those, the kinks that need to be worked out in new construction get worked out while you're under warranty. Mm-hmm. The management just handles that directly because they're here in our same office with the builder. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's the intake and a, and a rough overview on the process. Did that answer your question? It does. It does. And okay. um, a couple of small quick questions there, uh, Steve. Uh, during initial uh, uh, launch of a project, uh, are you waiting for, uh, uh, you know, do you sweeten the deals for newer clients so that uh, you have enough uh, sort of guarantees uh, on the uh, on the lots so that you can kick off the projects and then as um, uh, as any typical new construction projects go through is that, hey, uh, you might escalate some prices uh, for 3%, 5%, things like that. Does that typical model uh, happens in your projects as well? We do have our best pricing in the first phase. Okay. Right? So mm-hmm. those that have been waiting, those that want to take action and help us kind of kick that off, they get rewarded. They get a better sure. base price on their sure, on their sure. units. Yeah. Sure. And uh, I think you also alluded to is that y- your model is a full uh, full coverage model where you have property management in place to handle any repairs, things like that. So all people have to do is purchase the units, uh, the leasing, the management, accounting, everything is handled by in-house property management company. Is that correct, Steve? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, the same principles of the management company or principles of FIG. We use Appfolio software. Mm-hmm. Right. So they'll get emailed statements every month, any repairs that were handled were handled. And in that first year, if there are repairs that are warranty related, they just get zeroed out, right? Sure. Because they're covered by the, the builder and they just handle that. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the payments are made via ACH. You get statements and year end statement for your accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably won't even know who your tenants' names are. They, they definitely know, won't know who you are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, right, right. Because the, the management team is Handles. the front line on that and they handle it. Yeah. Sure, sure. So uh, one last question, uh, Steve, that uh, you started in Idaho, then, you know, I guess started in Utah, went to Idaho, now Texas, you're looking into Phoenix and things uh, like that, right? Um, So when you're identifying these markets, right, it's not just about markets, 
Uh, it's all about, you know, what the construction pricing is, who are the subcontractors, uh, you know, mm-hmm. getting that construction arm sort of uh, uh, armed and ready to fire. Uh, I think there's a lot to be said. Could you help us understand that uh, behind the scenes, like what work goes on uh, as you are evaluating the markets, uh, you're looking at construction prices and all these other contractors. Help us understand those dynamics, like w- what goes into that? Well, one of the most key things that goes into this is we'll have three or four job sites going at any given time in, in the states where we do operate. Mm-hmm. And what you see on those is you'll kind of start to see rising stars, mm-hmm. people who ran a project really well, who we say, you know what, this guy, we, we could move this guy down to Phoenix and have mm-hmm. him run point for FIG, you know, and he's an employee of FIG, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and then we're going to start interviewing subs and they don't take you very serious at first sure this is one of the reasons why when we're going into a new market or even a new city we we inoculate the clients that hey you know this might get interesting (laughs) okay right this is we have bids but let's see what happens here right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. once you're getting sticks up out of the ground people start to take you more seriously and on your second project you have a much better sub and trade base right? You're getting the best people coming out of the woodwork instead of those that are desperate for work, right? right? You want the ones that are good. So this, that, that's one component to this mm-hmm. is breaking in the trade base to what we do and how we do it. Mm-hmm. There's no way to do it other than to do it. <laughs> no, I know. I know you have to stick to your guns and maybe have uh, probably adjust your criteria based on your experiences. Yeah. And you have, uh, I mean, you know, I'm talking more about cost basis that, Hey, what's the lumber, what's the concrete, what's the labor pricing right. uh, for certain items. And then based on the new market, how, how that variance uh, uh, occurs, you just sort of uh, control that. So that's correct. Yeah. And then, like I said, once you get in, once you get a certain amount of doors under your belt, mm-hmm. you can probably start to get some better economies of scale on something like that. It, you know, this doesn't affect the, the investor because we have a fixed bid contract, right? right? They right. sign a contract for 750,000, but lumber goes up 20%. That's on us, not on them. Right, right, right. right. And then a, a bunch of the other front end setup is just city related, right? Mm-hmm. What, what is it going to take to do entitlements? What is it going to take to get approval? Uh, the different code code restrictions, you know, for example, in Phoenix, we ha- or I mean, in Houston, we have to put fire suppression sprinklers right. in all of our quads. And that's a whole new thing. Right. We don't have to do that in Utah. Right. I see. I see. Mm-hmm. So that you just, uh, you get in there, you can get your arms like 90% wrapped around it before you start. Sure. Sure. And then you're going to learn about a whole bunch of stuff you didn't know. And some stuff that you didn't even know that you didn't know. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, yeah. it's it's a learning process. You rightfully yeah. said it's a learning process. The more you do it, the better. Uh, I think you have accurate, uh, uh, you know, data points and different variances uh, start to you know diminish, and you have a better, uh, you know, sort of a understanding of costs and things like that. Yeah. So sure. Uh, I've, with with the aspect of time, Steve, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, I would encourage all our listeners to take advantage of your product. Uh, you know, new construction, built to rent. There is not a lot of uh, options there in this niche. Um, you know, owning a new product that uh, you know cash flows. Uh, 
has possibly most definitely a appreciation element to it because just being new construction, there's probably not a lot of inventory in a lot of these submarkets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having those, I mean, it's a nirvana when you can get cash flow and uh, you know mostly a guaranteed appreciation on the back end through the few years. Uh, it's 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 a double whammy that you can't beat. So please uh, help us, uh, uh, you know, Steve, how people can reach you and learn more about your company and different projects that you have going on. Yeah, just go to fig.us. That's our website. And, and you can research past projects that we've done there. You can look at what's currently available. Um, our phone number's on there. Or you can just fill out a contact us form, right? Just say you were referred by the podcast and, and we'll know who you are. And uh, reach out and one of our clients will, or I'm sorry, one of our people will get in touch with you to start talking about this and answering your questions it's an education process. We're just here to answer questions and get you familiar with it. Cause we feel like it's one of those things that it's right for you or it's not. Right. So right. if you're I, thinking so call us and let's talk about it and arrive at your own conclusions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Steve. I appreciate your time today. And yes. listeners of our show can also reach us at premiumcashflow.com. We always have interesting guests like Steve uh, with uh, you know new niches. Uh, we always have guests for multifamily, self-storages, uh, manufactured home parks, and uh, other niches also. Uh, there are always good deals and new opportunities available for accredited and sophisticated investors. Uh, of course, all, all the investments are done with proper disclosures and due diligence. So always, uh, you know, if there are any questions, uh, listeners can always reach us at premiumcashflow.com. Uh, there is a contact us or invest with us page through which we can start the engagement process. Uh, so with that, uh, thank you, Steve. Uh, sure. I look forward to interacting with you in future uh, when, you, uh, when you have more states and more projects under your belt. It's been a pleasure. Yes. Yes. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to premium cash flow real estate investing podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.